You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. In the name of God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. You can have a seat, church. Good morning. How are y'all doing? I know y'all woke up this morning thinking, sweet, it's Gaudate Sunday. I've been waiting for this all year, right? I know, some of you. I can't wait to see Sean in those pink vestments. I know some of you are just aching for that. And I, trust me, I agree. I was looking forward to that too. We don't have pink vestments. But this is the one day of the year in which it's actually totally appropriate for us to wear pink vestments. That's something we can work on next year. I don't know, maybe. Pink would look good on us. It's not actually pink, but rose, but whatever. You get the idea. And Gaudate Sunday is an old Latin word that's the very first word of that reading from Philippians. It's typically sung or said at the beginning of this service in Advent 3. Rejoice is the first word you hear in the liturgy this morning traditionally. Rejoice, Gaudate. That's an interesting concept right in the middle of Advent, right? To break out in celebration and party and rejoice right in the middle of this purple season. Purple is often associated with what? Lent, right? That's another season we have. Lent isn't typically your party season, right? What's going on in Lent? Preparation, penitence, clearing out, uncluttering our lives of sin, getting ready for the coming king. At Christmas and at Easter, that's what we get ready for. So for us to pause that for a minute and to rejoice, to have celebration, is kind of strange in the middle of of Advent. And you see this rose candle. Did anybody even notice that this candle is a different color this third week of Advent? That's what this is all about. And you can see why it would just make sense for us to have like coordinated colors, right? Right? Maybe not. Okay. Well, anyways, I'll leave, I'll leave the vestments alone, but I think it's pretty awesome to see a bunch of people in rose-colored vestments. This rose color, though, this, this theme of rejoice, we might enter into this thinking, okay, this is a sweet, soft, like super inspiring, comforting kind of moments in, uh, in Advent that we get to pause about. But it's actually quite the opposite. It's actually pretty surprising how punchy rejoice can be, how polemical this message can be about joy. This rose color, don't let it fool you. This color overthrows kings and kingdoms. This joy, don't let it fool you. It dismantles the strongest powers on the face of the earth, this joy. Rejoice, church. It disrupts the status quo, all the arrangements we make in our lives with ourselves and with others. This pink and this rejoice, this joy, all of this totally gets in the way of our plans. And on purpose, it comes at us rattling our cage. And when we look at the scriptures, we find joy, this message is this, this thing that the universe can't help but do. This universe, the entire created order, all of creation, all people cannot wait to give joy the way that this third week in Advent is expressing joy. This morning, I want to explore this with you a little bit today. The disruptive nature of the joy that comes when the announcement that the Lord is near comes about and the eruption of joy happens and kings are overthrown. I want to look at this kind of joy that we find breaking into our world 
beginning with our reading from Isaiah 12 this morning. Let me read just a portion of this to catch you up, refresh our memory, what we just heard. Isaiah chapter 12, verse 4 says this, And you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known his deeds among the nations, proclaim that his name is exalted, sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be known in all the earth, shout aloud and sing for joy, O royal Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Begins in verse four, we're kind of right in the middle of an idea. This thought, and you will say in that day, wait, hold on a second. Why and, and why, what day are we talking about? We kind of have to catch up. It picks up right in the middle of this thought. A day is coming when God will set the whole earth to right. Everything that you notice that's broken, everything that everybody's like super quick to get on Facebook and comments about, all that stuff, God is coming to set that right and like without your help or your comments on Facebook. Thank God. Not that they're all bad. I'm not knocking on you guys. But those ways that we respond to the brokenness in the world, God is actually coming to set all of that straight, to set it all right. That day is the day that Isaiah's prophecy is referring to. That day will be a relief. When that day comes, it's gonna be a relief for those who are broken, for those who are longing, for those places that are war-torn, ripped apart by violence. Oh, that day, it's good news. For those of us who bicker, for our entire country that bickers, for the entire world that bickers, the selfishness that rolls on in our world, the exploitation that goes on unchecked in our world, the division that we have, the ways that sin and death rips apart humanity, oh, that day, when that day comes, the whole earth will rejoice because God will set all things right, amen? His righteousness, the goodness of God, friends, will settle on the earth like a morning dew. Overwhelming, even in the lightest ways, God's presence overwhelms the wickedness that has made a mess of our world and our lives. And on that day, and you will say, as Isaiah says, and you will say in that day, Regardless of what you think now, regardless of your life situation now, notice it's not a suggestion about you may want to say this on that day. No, it's saying on that day, you are assured to say this. Give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. You may have never said those words in your life, but trust me, on that day, when you see what the presence of God does to a broken world, we will all rejoice and say, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Wow, he really is good. We will say things like that. When the goodness of God makes its home among mortals like us, you'd think we'd be at a loss for words, and we probably will be. And even now, he comes to make his home, and in anticipation, we rejoice. You will see that everything that happens as people are drawn to the presence of God, it's all good. It's all the things that we've longed to be mended and made right. It happens around the person of Jesus when he draws near. And so, like the prophet says, we will proclaim that his name be exalted above every other name. Because who can do that? Like Jesus. When God draws near, we will shout aloud and sing for joy. Even those of you who stink at singing, you're going to just sing. 
You're gonna not help but sing. Even the quietest of you who wouldn't even peep, you're going to shout for joy. There's just something that gets provoked in us when God comes near to us. When you see, when you and I and our neighborhood and the entire world sees the Holy One of Israel dwelling in our midst, we can't help but rejoice. But it's not all celebration, friends. This is part of the joy that is the part that we most overlook when we think of joy. We think it's a good time and a party. Well, this joy comes at the cost of the enemies of God. I know all of you are thinking, shoot, that's not me. Good thing, won't come at my cost. Well, listen to Zephaniah. God will say, Zephaniah 3.19, I will deal with all of your oppressors at that time. And I will save the lame and gather the outcasts. And I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. Verse 20, at that time, I will bring you home at the time when I gather you. So whatever and whoever is keeping the people of God captive, God is saying, I will bring you home. And there's not gonna be a single thing that will get in the way of my gathering up of my kids. If you have oppressors, I'll deal with them. Doesn't that just sound good? If you are lame, if you are outcast, I will gather you, the Lord says. If you find yourselves marginalized on the outside of things, not good enough, excluded for you name it, God says, not so when I draw near, I gather all things to myself. If you are overwhelmed with shame, if your own self-identity is just burdened and plagued with shame, When God draws near to you, it's not up for debate, folks. This is what he says. Your shame will be turned into praise and renown in all the world, in all the earth. Your shame will be turned inside out when God draws near your life. And I will bring you home, he says. Salvation, it seems, on the one hand is like full of joy, but also it's a two-edged sword, right? Because people who are keeping the people of God captive and those things maybe that even in our own lives, we keep ourselves captive too, they will face the sword of God, the judgments of God. He will overwhelm them. I will bring you home, God promises, which sounds like a really sweet thing. But what that's going to require is going to be the trampling of all of the powers and all of the enemies and all of the oppressors that stand in the way of God bringing his children home. So watch out, folks, beware. If you stand in opposition to God, if you wanna work against his ways of goodness and reconciliation and peace, you stand right in the middle of his path. Watch out, you won't win. This wasn't a promise that God gave to his people Israel about some sort of like idealistic place in the sky that he was gonna bring them home to. God was speaking in very material and very concrete terms about a territory that he would dwell in and that he would gather his people to. But this future, and people have made a huge mistake about this, this future, this territory, this space in which God will gather up his people is not a space that we can make on our own. It's not a territory that we can provide. No nation can arrange this or mimic this. 
This isn't somewhere buried in our country's history that if we could just get back to that place, we would be that nation again. We can't bring this about, folks. Only God himself can bring this about, and he's promised to. And what's key about this final home that God promises for his people is that he dwells there, that he is there, that he establishes his kingdom there. His reign and rule is unthreatened. It's established. It's what it is. And he makes a heavenly city that supplants, totally topples over all other powers and broken nations that would contend with it or stand in its way. Nothing can stand against the, the, the kingdom of God that is to come. And God will dwell with us. Christ, this is why he's such a big deal for us, friends. It's just not the idea of Jesus, but is the incarnate Jesus, the human one, Christ, our brother. We sang this hymn in catechism this morning that talks about God entering into our reality as a human being and, and leading the charge for us in our way of salvation. Through his death on the cross and his resurrection and now even into his ascension, God is making a place for us to gather us to himself. And that place won't be just tucked away in some sort of disembodied place, but it'll be a realized new heaven and new earth kind of space, a new Jerusalem that God is bringing about. And he's doing that first and foremost by his son, Jesus. This, folks, this is why the earth rejoices. That's good news. The reality of the coming kingdom among us, people like us in South Austin, that South Austin would be gathered up into the presence of God? Now that would be South Austin, wouldn't it? What a beautiful place that would be. This reality is tucked behind kind of secretly in our gospel reading that we um, reread this morning from Luke. John the Baptist, we all heard this part, and I think it's funny that we read this entire announcement of John basically threatening everyone and telling them, like, insulting everyone, and then, and then we say, the gospel of the Lord, and everyone's like, thanks be to God, I guess. Like, that doesn't sound like an inspirational message, but John comes out, guns blazing, you brood of vipers, who warned you that God was coming to gather up his people? Repent, every single one of you. You soldiers, you tax collectors, I'm going to tell you exactly what you need to do to amend your life and turn it over to the Lord. Stop extorting people for money. Stop taking advantage of and exploiting the poor. Instead, turn over all of your sins and be baptized. We heard this message. But what's tucked behind that message, just in the next verse, uh, John's message isn't so well received by some who are in power. Those who need a savior, those who know that God is coming and that they need to prepare the way for him in their own lives, they're ready to be baptized. But not everybody's that way. Herod, when he heard the news of the kingdom, Herod committed further evil by, scripture says, shutting him up in prison. The rulers and the powers, they don't like these subversives, right? These revolutionary voices. They don't understand that their rule, their reign is a total sham, actually. And Herod, we don't even have to debate with him. He proves that his rule is a sham by the way that he deals with the news of the kingdom that's coming. He proves it himself. Not with repentance and joy like John is provoking us to do, as a, of the true king who's coming into the world. No, Herod responds with more oppression, 
and more prison, shutting up the good news, shutting up John in prison. But friends, let this be our case in point. You cannot shut up the news of the kingdom and you cannot shut up the joy that will come from the earth when God dwells with his people. There's just nothing you can do to get in the way of that. Joy bursts forth regardless of what our plans are, what our powers are, what positions we have. God is coming, joy is bursting forth. You cannot shut it up. There's no negotiating with the invasion of heaven on the earth. There's no negotiating with it. There's no negotiating with the reign of the Messiah child who is coming to sit on the throne as king. You may resist it for a time, and trust me, the world resists this for a time, but the joy of the Lord will be found in a manger in a, in a week, a little over a week for us, that will overthrow even the most stubborn of powers, even the most stubborn of rulers. This is the world that Christians live in, the real world in which the church prepares with joy for their coming king, regardless of the powers, regardless of the resistance. And friends, it's honestly not so much out there as it is in here, right? How we resist this Christ child that's coming to sit on the throne. That means that we can't sit on the throne any longer. Repent. Don't shut up this news in the prison of your own lives. Don't act like you haven't heard that Jesus is coming and to sit on his throne in your life. Don't pretend you didn't hear that. Don't shut up this message. Don't do that because look, you're not gonna win anyways, but also what you really desire in your life for things to be made right and whole, to experience the goodness of God, to live, that only comes by the Messiah child, Jesus that only comes by him. And there's only one response to this news and it's not to resist it or to shut it up, but it's to repent and to prepare a way in your own lives, to rejoice, in fact, praise God for a king that I have so desperately needed. This is why, friends, we began the sermon with this. We're gonna end it with this in Philippians 4. This is why Paul says this twice so that we don't miss it. Rejoice in the Lord always. Look. Mic check, I'm gonna say it again to you, rejoice. This is your response to the news of the coming king. Let your gladness be known to everyone. Don't hide or shut up the, the joy that God is pouring into your life and is coming. No, let everyone know it. Be obnoxious if you have to, that's okay. Rejoice, why? The Lord is near. Rez, how are we going to deal with the news that the Lord is near? Really? This morning, how will we deal with the news that God is drawing near to us? And not, again, in some sort of like ethereal, theoretical way. God is drawing near to us in his own presence in our lives. It doesn't get more near than consuming him in your own body. How will we deal with the news that God comes to dwell with us? Will we turn in repentance and sing with joy? Or will we hold on to our arrangements of things, the status quo? Things have been all right, Sean. I'm going to leave it as it is. Stubbornly ignoring John's in-your-face message for us. Can I encourage you? Don't, don't 
resist this. You will only be met by an overthrow. You're not going to win, and you're actually not going to get what you really long for. But instead, hand over your power and hand over your control, the control you think you have. It's actually just an illusion. Hand over the comfort that you find in your habits of sin, which will be exposed when you face judgment before the face of God anyways. Hand over the ways of death that you entertain in your life that you think nobody sees. Hand that over. Hand over your sloth, your laziness, those ways that God is provoking you to come alive and obey him and and work with him and cooperate with him, the ways that God has been shouting and whispering into your lives in different ways to say, don't you know I love you? I'm coming for you. Respond to me. Friends, this Rejoice Week is our time to hand all that over. All of the comfort that we think we have in that other life of death, instead of wasting our time entertaining all of that stuff, And let's be clear, complacency about all that, that's not somewhere in the middle. A non-decision here is a decision to just continue in the ways of death. You have to decide. What are you going to do to prepare for the one that's coming? Are you going to shut it up? Are you going to repent and rejoice? Res, let us be a people by the grace of God who open up our lives to his coming and say, Lord, I know your goodness and mercy is for me. I know that you love me and I'm so ready for you to come and make things right in my life and in the world. Come, Lord Jesus. May that be our prayer, Rez. We can be that people by the help of God. We can respond to him and say, you know, God, we're open to that. Do that in us. But that begins by handing over those things in our lives that get in the way of that response and repenting. Rez, let's be a church, a community in this Advent season that is ready to amend our selfishness, our self-centeredness, and let our gentleness and our joy and our anticipation be known to everyone. The Lord is coming near. We should rejoice, not only with our lips, but with our lives. Let's take a moment of silence as we prepare to invite God to come close, repent, and respond with joy. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.